Alright, and welcome to another episode of um, Kindling the Hearth Fire with our nighttime reading hour. Um, we're having a little bit of trouble with the Facebook, meaning um, the reason why I left Facebook Live is becoming quite evident. It just takes forever to load any Facebook page on my computer. I mean, I have no problem with it on my phone, but without my Kindle, um, I don't have access to the, um, the books. So, okay, it's coming up now. So, just giving everyone a heads up on this episode that we're having some technical difficulties. So, we'll be starting a little bit late. So, give me a, give me a minute to get this set up. Because um, it always just takes me a minute to get it set up. And I don't have my usual microphone, so a lot of that down on low, just so it's not as noisy. But um, we need the air in here, so um, yeah. No man. This is why I left Facebook Lives, because it is just such slow loading. Loading. Okay, but, um, give you guys, give everyone a heads up. We are reading from the first book of War of the Worlds. Apparently it's separated into two books. Um, one before the Martians, um, have enslaved humanity. And the second book is the short time they held humanity um, under its command, or under its thrall, in some cases, and the rebellion that ensued. Um, but here we're actually going to be starting with the 14th chapter, um, as it says in the title, um, which is titled In London. Okay, going to the discussion part, and... Come on. I, I really, really, really dislike Facebook and the amount of time it takes me to load this up. Um, so you, um, there we go. Now we need to load up another page. Uh, I wish I could do this on my phone because it is, for some reason, more, um, quick and efficient to do it on my phone than it is to do it on the computer, which is doesn't make a lot of sense to me that the Facebook on the computer should be slower and more apt to crashes than the one on the phone, because the computer is the one that's been around the longest. Um, but it that is just true. Alright, so we've got to the page now. this up and running on my phone five minutes before eight o'clock and I thought oh why don't I just switch to the computer because I don't have my Kindle um, accessing your camera yes I've got a camera on my computer get over it um, okay all right so dismiss this and 
zoom out. then we'll get started. This is the preview. It's just taking forever to load. Once again, give me... Wow, this is not freezing. Let's say I'm live. And I am live. Okay, good. It only took me five minutes, which is not terribly bad, actually. But, um, welcome to another episode of Nighttime Reading Hour with Kimberly Laharfire, which is hosted by moi, me, um, Ash or Ashtor, and I'm just waiting for, once again, waiting for Facebook to load so I can share to everyone that wants to join us on the live broadcast, um, which is on Facebook Live, and as I've stated before, Facebook has a little bit of trouble loading anything really on my computer and I've got a fairly new computer so it's got 16 gigs of RAM and over a terabyte of memory so I don't think it's my computer that's the issue and um, I don't think it's the computer connection either uh, because I had a similar problem at my old home where I had a much better connection okay so I'm going to go over here and invite friends, and then we're going to give them about 10 more minutes to pop in, invite a few people, just to try to fill this in so that I'm not talking to nobody. And for everyone who is listening on the podcast, this is going to be the first broadcast since early June, I think, the day before everything changed. And um, if you've been on Facebook and you've seen my posts, you know pretty much what's going on in my life right now. And I've done an update post about this on my Patreon page if you want to go on there and take a look. I really don't feel like getting into it right now, but just suffice to say that um, I was getting a lot of towers in my tarot cards, and um, yeah, it actually showed up in my life, the big old tower. So anyway, so um, I got one friend on here already. Um, hello, Jim, my new roommate. <laughs> um... So we're just going to give everybody another eight or so minutes, like maybe uh, seven minutes to get on here. And then we will get started with the 14th chapter of War of the Worlds, uh, which is titled In London. So apparently he's made it to London, apparently. In the last chapter, he had um, taken on... Um, bringing with him a curate, curate that he'd found in one of the houses that he was visiting as he was on his way back to where he thought his wife was um, after 
going back to their home and being attacked and all that good stuff and having to travel by night and avoid the Martians. So, we're back to his journey um, on the way to London. So, skipping everybody a moment. Get over here. So, we've got about six more minutes until we get started, just to give people some time. So, if you're here and you're listening, um, the, the chat function is open. If you'd like to pop in and say hello, um, that would be grand. Actually, on Facebook. Um, I was asking how everybody's um, evening is going on. I seem to be having a pretty fair evening. Um, I got moved out of my old place completely. Everything is in the garage at this point, and I do just to sort through things and set things aside to be donated when I can donate them, and get the things that I actually do need to keep with me. Um, because, as some of you will know, it was a very emotional time and I couldn't really sort through everything because I only had two weeks to get out of a place I'd been in for six years. So, hmm. I really have had a lovely, lovely couple of weeks. So, but tonight um, is the end of me having to move everything out. Everything is moved out. I accomplished that. And from now on, it's just getting everything sorted and getting everything moved in completely. So, how's everybody doing this evening? Um, I've given you kind of a, an idea of how I'm doing this evening. I'm um, relaxing leisurely after having been moving boxes and things for about two to three hours today and about four to five hours yesterday. So, um, I'm, I'm taking the night off. Um, I would have had cider, but it apparently exploded in the freezer, so I won't have cider tonight, but I do have good old-fashioned water, which is always nice to have. Um, having that as my beverage. Okay, so I've got about four more minutes, and then we'll get started. I'm just keeping, a, keeping an eye on the clock, so people aren't waiting terribly long, but... It is now 8.11, so, um, yeah, I'll get started about 8.15, so about four more minutes, so that should be fine. Um, just giving everybody a chance to get in, get, um, get some chatting done in the chat. Um, there's always a bit of a delay with the Facebook, especially. Um, um, let's see, I'm also recording this for the... Um, Anchor people that are on Anchor, if you're not aware, I am on Anchor, which is a podcasting site, and it aggregates to, well, good to hear that you're doing, doing all right, Jim. I asked that question over over a minute ago, but you, there's, there's a lag, so good to hear that you're doing well, Jim, even if you are just, is it downstairs or just next door or something like that, um, <laughs> and I could pop out and ask how you're doing anytime, but, um, Good, good. Good to hear that everybody's doing well, and I'm assuming the sound is okay, um, because you did answer the question that I asked, so I'm assuming the sound is okay and the fan isn't bothering anybody, so that's good. We've got a little more than two and a half minutes left, and then we'll get started. 
I have to keep a fairly good eye on the clock, otherwise I'll go on rambling and we will never get to where actually everybody wants to be. So, let's see. And if you're listening, you can invite people to um, the live on, on Facebook and things like that if you like. Um, so they can pop in. I pop, I've um, invited several people, like 10 people, because um, that's what they'll allow me to do. Um, and it takes forever to do it because it's Facebook. Um, <laughs> but. Okay. And. What does that mean? Recording in progress. Okay. Because I'm doing the recording for the podcast on my phone. And the Android has a fairly good speaker system on it, but it is not um, my Blue Yeti microphone that I got from a very good friend who sent it to me out of the blue when I first got this podcast started because he had been trying to start a podcast and had decided against it because of certain issues. Um and had a wonderful mic that was just sitting there collecting dust and he decided to send me that said mic. Um, I'm very, very, very grateful for his generosity and um, it was, it's a wonderful mic. So um, I definitely could not have been able to afford it, at least not soon. Um, it was a um, hundred and something dollars or something like that for that mic. It was one I was looking at, which is why it was so nice to get one. Um, so I was saving money to get one, and then somebody sends me a, one randomly out of the blue. That was really appreciated. Uh, okay, so we've got about 30 seconds left to wait to get started here. So let me just get settled and give you a chance for everyone to get settled as well. Get your preferred beverage comfortable, and we'll, can, we can get started on the reading. How does it look when I do it that way? I'm sitting on the chase lounge that I brought with me. And it's a lot more comfortable if I'm sitting sideways for my back. And yeah, you can see me and I'm comfortable and yeah, we're good. Okay, so it is now showtime. So. Welcome to another episode of Kindling the Hearthfire's um, Nighttime Reading Hour. I'm your host, Ash, as you may or may not know. <laughs> Alright, and we're going to get started with Chapter 14 of War, War of the Worlds for Trippy Thursday. And if you have any recommendations for another title for these um, that it has alliteration, begins with the letter T, um, and has to do with the genre of what War of the Worlds War of the Worlds falls into. So, give me a, maybe throw me a message and, and see if you can find a better name than uh, Trippy Thursdays. Because, yeah, I wasn't too enthused with the name. So, anyway, chapter 14 of War of the Worlds. I'm fairly distracted today, if you can't tell. Alright, in London. My younger brother 
was in London when the Martians fell at walking. He was a medical student working for an imminent examination, and he heard nothing of the arrival until Saturday morning. The morning papers on Saturday contained, in addition to the lengthy special articles on the planet Mars, on life on the plan- in the planets, and so forth, a brief and vaguely worded telegram, all the more striking for its brevity. The Martians, alarmed by the approach of the crowd, had killed a number of people with a quick-firing gun, so the story ran. The telegram concluded with the words, Formidable as they seem to be, the Martians have not moved from the pit in which they have fallen, and indeed seem incapable of doing so. Probably this is due to the relative strength of the Earth's gravitational energy. On that last text, their lead writer expanded very comfortingly. Of course, all the students in the Crammer's biology class, to which my brother went that day, were intensely interested. But there was no signs of any unusual excitement in the streets. The afternoon papers puffed scraps of news under big headlines. They had nothing to tell beyond the movements of troops about the commons and the burning of the pins of the pine woods between Walking and Weybridge until eight. Then the St. James Gazette, in an extra special edition, announced the bare fact of the interruption of telegraphic communication. This was thought to be due to the falling of burning pine trees across the line. Nothing more of the fighting was known that night, the night of my drive to Leatherhead and back. My brother felt no anxiety about us, as he knew from the description in the papers that the cylinder was a good two miles from my house. He made up his mind to run down that night to me, in order, as he says, to see the things before they were killed. He dispatched a telegram, which never reached me, about four o'clock, and spent the evening at the music hall. In London, also on Saturday night, there was a thunderstorm, and my brother reached Waterloo in a cab. On the platform from which the midnight train usually starts, he learned, after some waiting, that an accident prevented trains from reaching walking that night. The nature of the accident he could not ascertain. Indeed, the railway authorities did not clearly know at the time. There was very little excitement in the station as the officials, failing to realize that anything further than a breakdown between Byfleet and Walking Junction had occurred, were running the theater trains which usually passed through Walking, round by Virginia Water or Guildford. They were busy making necessary arrangements to alter the route of the Southampton and Portsmouth Sunday League excursions. A nocturnal newspaper reporter, mistaking my brother for the traffic manager, to whom he bears a slight resemblance, waylaid and tried to interview him. Few people, excepting the railway officials, 
connected the breakdowns with the Martians. I have read in another account of the events that on Sunday morning all London was electrified by news of walking. As a matter of fact, there was nothing to justify that very extravagant phrase. Plenty of Londoners did not hear of the Martians until the panic of Monday morning. Those who did took some time to realize that the hastily worded telegrams in the Sunday papers conveyed. The majority of people in London do not read Sunday papers. The habit of a personal security, moreover, is so deeply fixed in the Londoner's mind and startling intelligence so much a matter of course in the papers that they could read about any personal tremors. They could read without any personal tremors. About seven o'clock last night, the Martians came out of the cylinder and moving about under the armor of metallic shields have completely wrecked walking station with the adjacent houses and massacred an entire battalion of the Cardigan Regiment. No details were known. Maxims have been absolutely useless against their armor. The field guns have been disabled by them. Flying hussars have been galloped into Chertsey. The Martians appear to be moving slowly toward Chertsey or Windsor. Great anxiety prevails in West Surrey, and earthworks are being thrown up to check the advance in Londonward. That was how the Sunday Sun put it, in a clever and remarkably prompt handbook article in the referee, compare the affair to the menagerie suddenly let loose in, in a village. No one in London seemed positively of the nature, knew positively of the nature of the armored Martians, and there was still a fixed idea that these monsters must be sluggish, crawling, creeping painfully. Such expressions occurred in almost all the earlier reports. None of the telegrams could have been written by any eyewitness of their advance. The Sunday papers printed separate editions as further news came to hand, some even in default of it. But there was practically nothing more to tell people until late in the afternoon, when the authorities gave the press agencies the news in their possession. It was stated that the people of Walton and Weybridge and all the district were pouring along the roads Londonward. And that was all. My brother went to church at the Foundling Hospital in the morning, still in ignorance of what had happened on the previous night. There he heard allusions made to the invasion and a special prayer for peace. Coming out, he bought a referee. He became alarmed at the news in this and went again to the Waterloo station to find out if communications were restored. The omnibuses, carriages, 
and cyclists and innumerable people walking in their best clothes clothes seemed scarcely affected by the strange intelligence that the news vendors were disseminating. People were interested, or if alarmed, alarmed only on account of the local residents. At the station, he heard for the first time that the Windsor had Windsor and the Chertsey lines were now interrupted. The porters told him that several remarkable telegrams had been received in the morning from Byfleet and Chertsey stations, but that these had abruptly ceased. My brother could get very little precise detail out of them. There's fighting going on about the Weybridge, was the extent of their information. The train service was now very much disorganized. Quite a number of people who had been expecting friends from places in the southwestern network were standing about the station. One gray-headed old gentleman came and abused the southwestern company bitterly to my brother. It wants showing up, he said. One or two trains came in from Richmond, Putney, and Kingston, containing people who had gone out for the day's boating and found the locks closed and a feeling of panic in the air. A man in blue, in a blue and white blazer, addressed my brother, full of strange tidings. There's hosts of people driving into Kingston in traps and carts and things, with boxes of valuables and all that, he said. They come from Molesley and Weybridge and Walton, and they say there's been guns heard at Chertsey, heavy firing, and that mountain soldiers have told them to get off at once because the Martians are coming. We heard guns firing at Hampton Court Station, but we thought it was thunder. What the dickens does it all mean? The Martians can't get out of their pit, can they? My brother could not tell them. Afterwards, he found that the vague feelings of alarm had spread to the clients of the Underground Railway, and that Sunday excursionists began to return from all over southwestern Lung, Lung, Barnes, Wimbledon, Richmond, Park, Kew, and so forth, at unnaturally early hours. But not a soul had anything more than a vague hearsay to tell of. Everyone connected with the terminus seemed ill-tempered. About five o'clock, the gathering crowd in the station was immensely excited by the opening of the line of communication, which is almost invariably closed between southeastern and southwestern stations, and the passage of carriage trucks bearing huge guns and carriages crammed with soldiers. These were the guns that were brought up from Woolwith, Witch, and Chatham, Chatham to cover Kingston. There was an exchange of pleasantries, you'll get eaten, were the beast tamers, and so forth. A little while after that, a squad of police came into the station and began to clear the public off the platforms, and my brother went out into the streets again. The church bells were ringing for even song. 
and a squad of Salvation Army lassies came singing down Waterloo Road. On the bridge, a number of loafers were watching, a curious brown scum that came drifting down the stream in patches. The sun was just setting, and the clock tower and the Houses of Parliament rose against one of the most peaceful skies it is possible to imagine, a sky of gold, barred with long, transverse stripes of reddish-purple cloud. There was talk of a floating body. One of the men there, a reservist, he said he was, told my brother he had, been, he had seen the heliograph flickering in the west. In Wellington Street, my brother met a couple of sturdy roughs who had just been rushed out of Fleet Street with still wet newspapers and staring placards. Dreadful catastrophe they, that they bawled one to the other down Wellington Street. Fighting at Weybridge. Full description. Repulse of the Martians. London in danger. He had to give three pence for a copy of that paper. Then it was, and then only, that he realized something of the full power and terror of these monsters. He learned that they were not merely a handful of small, sluggish creatures, but that they were minds swaying vast mechanical bodies, and that they could move swiftly and smite with such power that even the mightiest guns could not stand against them. They were described as vast spider-like machines, nearly a hundred feet high, capable of the speed of an express train and able to shoot out a beam of intense heat. Masked batteries, chiefly of field guns, had been planted in the country around Horsell Common, and especially between the walking district and London. Five of the machines had been seen moving towards the Thames, and one, by happy chance, had been destroyed. In the other cases, the shells had missed, and the batteries had been at once annihilated by the heat rays. Heavy losses of soldiers were mentioned, but the tone of the dispatch was optimistic. The Martians had been repulsed. They were not invulnerable. They had retreated to their triangle of cylinders again in the circle about walking. Signalers with heliographs were pushing forward upon them from all sides. Guns were in rapid transit from Windsor, Portsmouth, Aldershot, Woolwich, even from the north, among others. Long wire guns of 95 tons from Woolwich. Altogether, 116 were in position at or being hastily placed chiefly covering London. Never before in England had there been such a vast or rapid concentration of military material. Any further cylinders that fell, it was hoped, would be destroyed at once by high explosives, which were being rapidly manufactured and distributed. No doubt, ran the report, 
The situation was of the strangest and gravest description, but the public was exhorted to avoid and discourage panic. No doubt the Martians were strange and terrible in, in the extreme, but at the outside there could not be more than 20 of them against our millions. The authorities had reasons to suppose, from the size of the cylinders, that at the outside there could not be more than five in each cylinder, fifteen altogether, and one at least was disposed of, perhaps more. The public would be fairly warned of the approach of danger, and elaborate measures were being taken for the production, protection of the people in the threatened southwestern suburbs. And so, with reiterated assurances of the safety of London and the ability of the authorities to cope with the difficulty, this quasi-proclamation closed. This was printed in enormous type on paper so fresh that it was still wet, and there had been no time to add a word of comment. It was curious, my brother said to see how ruthlessly the usual contents of the paper had been hacked and taken out to give this place. All down Wellington Street, people could be seen fluttering out of the pink sheets and reading. Fluttering out the pink sheets and reading. And the strand was suddenly noisy with the voices of army, of an arm, of an army of hawkers following those pioneers. Men came scrambling off buses to secure copies. Certainly this news excited people intensely, whatever their previous apathy. The shutters of a map shop in the Strand were being taken down, my brother said and a man in his Sunday raiment, lemon-yellow gloves even, was visible inside the window, hastily fastening maps of Surrey to the glass. Going on along the Strand to Trafalgar, Trafalgar Square, the paper in his hand, my brother saw some of the fugitives from West Surrey. There was a man with his wife and two boys and some articles of furniture in a cart, such as greengrocers use. He was driving from the direction of Westminster Bridge, and close behind him came a hay wagon with five or six respectable-looking people in it, and some boxes and bundles. The faces of these people were haggard, and their entire appearance contrasted conspicuously with the Sabbath best appearances of the people on the omnibuses. People in fashionable clothing peeped at them out of the cabs. They stopped at the square as if undecided which way to take, and finally turned eastward along the strand. Some way behind these came a man in workday clothes, riding one of these old-fashioned tricycles 
with a small front wheel. He was dirty and white in the face. My brother turned down towards Victoria and met a number of such people. He had a vague idea that he might see something of me. He noticed an unusual somber number of police regulating the traffic. Some of the refugees were exchanging news with the people on the omnibuses. One was professing to have seen the Martians. Boilers on stilts, I tell you, striding along like men. Most of them were excited and animated by their strange experience. Beyond Victoria, the public houses were doing a lively trade with these arrivals. At all the street corners, groups of people were reading papers, talking excitedly, or staring at these unusual Sunday visitors. They seemed to increase as night drew on, until at last the roads, my brother said, were like Epsom High Street on Derby Day. My brother addressed several of these fugitives and got unsatisfactory answers from most. None of them could tell him any news of walking except one man, who assured him that walking had been entirely destroyed on the previous night. I come from Byfleet, he said. A man on a bicycle came through the place in the early morning and ran from door to door, warning us to come away. Then came soldiers. We went out to look, and there were clouds of smoke to the south, nothing but smoke, and not a soul coming that way. Then we heard the guns at Chertsey, and folks coming from the Weybridge. So I've locked up my house and come on. At that time... There was a strong feeling in the streets that the authorities were to blame for their incapacity to dispose of the invaders without all of this inconvenience. Of course. Excuse me. About eight o'clock, a noise of heavy firing was distinctly audible all over the south of London. My brother could not hear it for the traffic in the main thoroughfares. But by striking through the quiet back streets to the river, he was able to distinguish it quite plainly. He walked from Westminster to his apartments near Regent's Park, about two. He was now very anxious on my account and disturbed at the evident magnitude of the trouble. His mind was inclined to run, even as mine had run on Saturday on military details. He thought of all those silent, expectant guns at the suddenly nomadic countryside. He tried to imagine boilers on stilts a hundred feet high. There were one or two cartloads of refugees passing along Oxford Street and several in the Marylebone Road. But so slowly was the news spreading that Regent Street and Portland Place were full of their usual Sunday night promenaders, albeit they talked in groups, 
and along the edge of Regent's Park, there were as many silent couples walking out together under the scattered gas lamps as ever there had been. The night was warm and still, and a little oppressive. The sound of guns continued intermittently, and after midnight there seemed to be a sheet lightning to be sheet lightning in the south. He read and reread the paper, fearing the worst had happened to me. He was restless and after supper prowled again aimlessly. He returned and tried in vain to divert his intention to his examination notes. He went to bed a little after midnight and was awakened from lurid dreams in the small hours of Monday by the sound of door knockers, feet running in the street, distant drumming and a clamor of bells. Red reflections danced on the ceiling. For a moment he lay astonished, wondering where the day, whether day had come or the world had gone mad. Then he jumped out of bed and ran to the window. His room was an attic, and as he thrust his head out, up and down the street there were a dozen, were dozen echoes to the noise of his window sash, and heads in every kind of night disarray appeared. Inquiries were being shouted. They are coming, bawled a policeman, hammering at the door. The Martians are coming, and hurried to the next door. The sound of drumming and trumpeting came from the Albany Street barracks, and every church within earshot was hard at work killing sleep with a venomous, disorderly toxin. To toxin? There was a noise of doors opening, and window after window in the houses opposite flashed from darkness into yellow illumination. Up the street came galloping a closed carriage, bursting abruptly into noise at the corner, rising to a clattering climax under the window, and dying away slowly in the distance. Close on the rear of this came a couple of cabs, the forerunners of a long procession of flying vehicles, going for the most part to Chalk Farm Station, where the Northwestern Special Trains were loading up, instead of coming down the gradient into Easton. For a long time, my brother stared out of the window in blank astonishment, watching the policemen hammering at the door after door and delivering their incomprehensible message. Then the doors behind them op him opened, and the man who lodged across the landing came in, wearing only, dressed in only in shirt, trousers, and slippers, his braces loose about his waist, his hair disordered from his pillow. What the devil is it? He asked. A fire? What a devil of a row! They both craned their heads out of the window, straining to hear what the policemen were shouting. People were coming out of the side streets and standing in groups and at the corners talking. What the devil is it all about, said my brother's fellow lodger. My brother answered him vaguely and began to dress, running with each garment to the window in order to miss nothing of the growing excitement. And presently men selling unnaturally early newspapers came bawling into the street, London in danger of suffocation 
the Kingston and Richmond defenses forced fearful massacres in the Thames Valley. And all about him, in the rooms below, in the houses on each side and across the road, and behind in the park terraces and the hundred other streets of that part of Marylebone, and the Westburn Park District, and St. Pancras, and westward and northward in Kilburn, and St. John's Wood, and Hampstead, and eastward in Shoreditch, and Highsbury, and Hagerston, and Hoxton, and indeed, through all of the vastness of London, from Ealing to East Ham, people were rubbing their eyes and opening windows to stare out and ask aimless questions, dressing hastily and as the first breath of the coming storm of fear blew through the streets. It was the dawn of the Great Panic. London, which had gone to bed on Sunday night, oblivious and inert, was awakened in the small hours of Monday morning, to a vivid sense of danger. Unable from his window to learn what was happening, my brother went down out into the street. Just as the sky between the parapets of the house drew pink with the early dawn, the flying people on foot and in vehicles grew more numerous every moment. Black smoke, he heard people crying, and again, black smoke. The contagion of such a unanimous fear was inevitable. As my brother hesitated on the doorstep, he saw another newsvendor approaching and got a paper forthwith. The man was running away with the rest and selling his papers for shilling each as he ran a grotesque mingling of profit and panic. And from this paper, my brother read that catastrophic dispatch of the commander-in-chief. The Martians are able to discharge enormous clouds of black and poisonous vapor by means of rockets. They have smothered our batteries, destroyed Richmond, Kingston, and Wimbledon, and are advancing slowly towards London destroying everything on the way. It is impossible to stop them. There is no safety from the black smoke, but in instant flight. That was all, but it was enough. The whole population of, a, of the great six million city was stirring, slipping, running. Presently, it would be pouring en masse northward. Black void, black smoke, the voices cried, fire. The bells of the neighboring church made a jangling tumult. A cart carelessly driven smashed amid shrieks and curses against the water trough up the street. Sickly yellow lights went to and fro in the houses, and some of the passing cabs flaunted unextinguished lamps. And overhead, the dawn was growing brighter, clear and steady and calm. He heard footsteps running to and fro in the rooms, and up and down stairs behind him. His landlady came to the door, loosely wrapped in dressing gown and shawl. Her husband followed, ejaculating. As my brother began began to realize the import of all these things. He turned hastily to his own room 
put all his valuable money, some ten pounds altogether, into his pockets and went out again into the streets. And that ends chapter 14. Hope everybody enjoyed that. And still recording. Okay, that's good. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. And we'll be coming in tomorrow with our usual um, Fairy Tale Friday. Um, same time, same place. Um, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time we'll be meeting again and it'll be Fairy Tale Friday for a little bit more fun after that bit of um, seriousness. So hope to see you again tomorrow same time and I hope everybody is well and I hope everyone has a good night. So see you tomorrow.